Well, you're listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Foster. I'm a professor of agricultural economics at Purdue University and currently serving as the interim head of the Department of Food Science. I have with me my co-host, Dane Erickson, who is a junior in agricultural economics. Dane, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. What is this? Is this week four of quarantine at Purdue? I believe so. Yeah, man, we've been doing this for three weeks. It doesn't seem that long. Um, last week, I got my Microsoft Teams data back, and it said uh, last week I sent 1,400 emails and received 1,200. So so that's the big change in my life. I'm handling everything by email, apparently, because <laughs> I can't believe that kind of email is going out. How about you? What what uh, What's the big change in your life? Well, it's been a lot of Zoom meetings up until now, but this past week was spring break for me. Uh, for my study abroad classes, so oh nice, um, yeah, I've just been working quite a bit. Still working on your Spanish? Yeah, I am. Most of the people I work with actually speak either Japanese or Portuguese, though, so I'm getting a little oh, diversity really? in there. Oh wow, that is quite some diversity. That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, today's for today's podcast, we have with us our guest, Agicon Senior Mason Gordon. Mason, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Dr. Foster? I'm doing great. Just uh, staying busy and trying to stay healthy like everybody else. It is, a, it is a unique time, but the reason why we want to talk to you, Mason, is we want to um, find out a little bit more and maybe celebrate a little bit with you uh, that you were recently named a Mitchell Scholar. Tell us what that means. Yeah, so uh, back in November, I was uh, named a member of the 21st class of the uh, George J. Mitchell Scholars. Uh, so what that means is I will spend the next academic year in Ireland uh, pursuing a master's degree. So the George Mitchell Scholarship funds 12 American students uh, to either study for a year in the Republic of Ireland or in uh, Northern Ireland and uh, pursue a master's degree. Uh, the scholarship is, is funded and, and uh, put on by the U.S.-Ireland Alliance. Uh, so the idea is that uh, 12 American students are going to Ireland to um, establish relationships with, with those that they meet in Ireland and, and make sure that that uh, connection continues uh, for the foreseeable future. So I'll be in uh, Galway, Ireland, the National University of Ireland, Galway, pursuing a, a master's degree in rural futures planning and innovation, which is uh, a fancy title for what I would just say is, is rural development, uh, rural sustainability. Uh, very passionate about rural America and, and looking forward to learning a little bit about um, uh, how the Irish are, are approaching rural development issues um, and, and hopefully bring back some, some pretty cool lessons to the United States. Wait, you said 12 students in all of the United States got picked for this? Yeah, 12 students. Um, I believe the application number was like 370 students uh, that applied and, and uh, we, 20 of us went out to Washington, D.C. Uh, the week before Thanksgiving and had a 12-minute interview, um, which if uh, I, I didn't realize how long interviews usually are, but uh, when I sat in that 12-minute interview, that felt like three questions, um, and that was a lot, uh, a lot of pressure writing on those, those 12 minutes. Uh, but yeah, somehow, uh, some way came out as, as one of the 12 to get to go to Ireland. Okay, I, I, ha I have to stop pretending I don't know very much about this because <laughs> I think you're being too modest. You, you said 300 and some odd applicants um, for that for this honor, but but the reality is that there's a um, limit on the number that gets sent from any one university. 
so you know at Purdue um, we know that other students vied for this opportunity but you were the one chosen just for the sake of our listeners I want them to understand that this is incredibly prestigious that uh, that in reality tens of thousands of students around the United States vied for this honor and you were one of the 12 that were chosen so congratulations tell us a little bit more about this passion for rural America where'd that come from so as I uh, do this podcast, I am sitting in the city hall of, of Rushville, Indiana, which is my hometown. I'm here because uh, I'm not quite confident in my Wi-Fi at home to be able to maintain a connection, which I think is a, is a rural development issue in itself that we could, that we could discuss even more. But um, my passion for rural development definitely stems from this office. Uh, when I was uh, coming out of, I was an NEFFA state officer for a year, uh, 2015, 2016. When I got done with that term, my term uh, expired in the middle of June. And so that left this this odd part of summer where, you know, if I wanted to pursue a normal internship, it was already past, you know, time to, to start those. And so I, I reached out to the mayor of my hometown and he brought me on um, as his intern. And that summer we were named a finalist for the Indiana Stellar Communities designation, which is a multi-million dollar private public partnership uh, that brings in um, 18 to 14 to 18 million dollars worth of funding to rural communities. And so I got to see all that process. And in the process, we were trying to build our story as to why Rushville deserved the funding and not maybe some other rural communities that we were uh, vying against. And one of my jobs was to uh, look through our, our, what they call our community vitality indicators, our population growth, our educational attainment, our public school enrollment, assessed value. I just saw, you know, we have all these statistics that are showing that, that Rushville is just not in a good spot. And unfortunately, um, we are in a position where we are um, kind of beaten down the doors in terms of, of funding that's coming in and, and things that are happening. But uh, the reality is that's not, that's not the same uh, reality that other rural communities are facing. Um, we're, all, we're all struggling with population growth. We're all struggling to retain kids like, like Dane and I to come back to a, a rural community and to, to start a life there. Um, and the mayor just allowing me to, to, to see behind the curtain and to see you know, what the reasons were for um, for why we were pursuing the funding that we were and why we were strategically placing it in the places that we were uh, definitely sparked my interest for rural development and, and agricultural economics on the same, on the same uh, swath of the, the brush. So definitely stems from my involvement uh, here in, in Rushville. And, and as a result, in the meantime, between me graduating and heading to Ireland, I'm going to be back on the mayor's, this mayor's team this summer building our comprehensive plan. So uh, without that involvement with the mayor's office, I don't think I would have this passion for rural development that I do. Mason, you've spent summers both involved in your hometown and in Washington, D.C. Do you take more of a national approach to rural development or localized? That is a great question. Um, and I found that, that really, especially rural places, uh, no one knows the intricacies of a rural place like someone living and, and uh, interacting in that rural place. You know, I think there's, there's definitely lots of initiatives uh, that come down from the, uh, the federal government. Um, opportunity zones would be one that, that comes to mind with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. There was certain census tracts that were identified for investment. And if you wanted to uh, receive some, some tax breaks for investing, 
um, those were heightened in this particular opportunity zones. And we have a census tract that, that is an opportunity zone. And it is literally right across the area where we just built a um, multi-million dollar industrial park. Where do we want that investment? We want the investment in the industrial park and it's not in the opportunity zone. Um, so we, and it, all the opportunity zones are based on, on data, uh, poverty data, income data, population data, which you know, we understand um, that, that uh, the data points to that area being where the investment needs to be, but we, we have poured millions of dollars into an area where we want investment and it's not in the opportunity zone. And of course, you know, we had to petition the governor and, and things like that. And I'm not actually certain of the, the status of, of if that opportunity zone was switched or not. Um, but maybe it's because I have been way, way more heavily involved in the local level than I have at the federal level. But uh, I, do, I do think that, that local leaders truly know their local situation and know what's best for their, for their local environment um, and definitely can, can play a big role in, in, in making decisions. Mason, you were, um, you were talking about the Stellar Communities Program. And as I recall, you're working on your uh, senior honors thesis right now, and it's focused on that program. What have you discovered? Yeah, so a couple of, of pretty interesting things that I've discovered. Um, looking at gross assessed valuation for these rural communities. So I'm studying uh, the difference between uh, designees, uh, so those that have received the multi-million dollars worth of funding, and finalists. So those that, um, that, that got almost to the point of exposure of the program, but did not quite receive that, that stimulus, that exposure. And, and what I'm seeing is that um, a lot of those, those, those pre-stellar trends were the same for all of the communities. So it didn't really matter if you were a designee or if you were a finalist, you were losing assessed value, you were losing population, um, you were, your, your, um, you know, your public school enrollment was, was going down. Um, but ever so slightly, I'm seeing a couple of, of pretty neat insights as to how the, uh, the designation may be helping some communities, one in which would be educational attainment rate. Um, did not expect that necessarily to, to be vastly different across the designees and the finalists, but what I'm seeing is in terms of percent change of percent population with college degrees is near doubled for designees than finalists um, from the, the period of 12 to 17, 2012 to 2017. And that was an insight I did not see coming, um, which I think is a pretty, pretty neat thing to, to think about us, you know, what in the funding was encouraging, um, you know, others to, to, to go out and, and to become more highly educated, I think would, would be an interesting uh, dive and to see if if there is some sort of uh, correlation there, if it just happened to be some some happenstance. Um, next would be uh, a gross assessed value, and um, uh, Dr. Foster, you and I have had a, a couple of conversations about this. But looking at average um, average changes in gross assessed value from a from a base period year of when the community was exposed to the Stellar Program. Um, so looking at for the finalists, it would be when were they named a finalist. Uh, for the designees, it would be when were they named a designee. And what I'm seeing is that um, uh, for designees, the trend pre-stellar exposure and the trend after stellar exposure are different. And the, the slopes of those trends um, are about 200% higher for the designees 
post-stellar exposure versus pre-stellar exposure. For the finalists, and this is a, a question that you and I have been kind of discussing, um, there is, I do, I do have one community in the group, uh, Whitestown, Indiana, that has been uh, the, the fastest growing community for the past eight years. And they've got a thousand acre industrial park that they are filling like crazy. So there's lots of assessed value things going on there that I've dove into and, and looked at you know, what's happening in Whitestown. But if you kind of pull them out of the, the, the finalist group, the slopes have essentially not changed pre-stellar versus post-stellar. Um, so that tells me that there's a lot more excitement for, for others to invest in stellar communities. And we're seeing that here in the city of Rushville. Um, our stellar community projects totaled $20 million. And right now we are tracking from the year 2016 to the year 2022, roughly 90 projects for $120 million. Uh, so when we received this state designation, we had, you know, investors coming out of nowhere that, you know, where there's just so much excitement happening right there, right now, uh, we want to be a part of it. And um, we've, we're looking at, I was, you know, just in, in a, a conference call with the mayor and our economic development director, and they're working on, you know, a, a project that would be another couple hundred jobs and a couple uh, $10 million. So um, it's, it seems to be there's an excitement created by the stellar designation to encourage folks to uh, to invest in these rural places, which we, we drastically need that excitement for rural investment right now. Let's just close with a thought on your part um, about uh, how does a student at Purdue go about becoming a Mitchell Scholar or a Rhodes Scholar? First thing that comes to mind is, is find your passion. Obviously, they're looking for students who um, excel in the classroom and that uh, are incredibly motivated and incredibly driven. Um, but I definitely think that that what landed me uh, the the scholarship was was my sheer passion for for rural places and and luckily I I found that passion young enough in life um, and being able to connect it to Ireland, um, a country in which forty percent of the population is rural, uh, a place where they've got a five year uh, kind of a rural development strategic plan that that sets some pretty pretty stellar goals uh, for rural development, um, and I was able to, to to weave all of that together. I didn't know that that tie necessarily existed until I started doing some some deeper diving into the scholarship, and then it was just like this aha moment of yes, this is a country in which I need to be in. So whether it's the Mitchell Scholarship, whether it's the Rhodes Scholarship, um, the Truman Scholarship whatever national, international scholarship that you're, they're looking at, you know, find your passion, know your passion, and be able to tie that passion to uh, the goals and objectives of those, those particular scholarships, I think is incredibly, incredibly valuable. Um, and I think just, you know, step outside of your, your comfort zone and some, seek some opportunities uh, during the summer times in which you're, um, you, you have some opportunities for some internships. So uh, this definitely, you know, I think as College of Ag students, we get pushed towards go to the ag career fair and find the, uh, an internship with a company and enroll with it. And, you know, the internship that, that led me to my passion was not at the career fair. Um, so I think being able to think outside the box and if you're passionate about it, go for it. Um, doesn't matter if no one else from Purdue Ag Econ has ever done it before, go for it. Um, and and um, let, your, let your passions lead you and, and uh, you'll, you'll get where you need to go. Folks, you've been listening to another installment of the Purdue Ag Econ podcast. We really appreciate your attention. Again, we're practicing social distancing here at Purdue, so we apologize for the quality of our audio at times. We're recording over Zoom. 
take care, stay healthy. Um, you can visit the Ag Econ department online at www.agecon.purdue.edu, and you can like us on Facebook, and you can follow us on Twitter. Thank you very much.